Hey, Mac, when does deer season start? Well, if you want the best deer herd possible, Lanny, you need to start right now. Right now. That's, That's why right. we're starting our promotion. I mean, we've got a deer season starts now promotion on plantbiologic.com where you can pick up our game changer soybeans, our forage soybeans, and our spring protein peas. While you're there, you might as well go ahead and pick up some brassicas like our final forage and winter bowls. Yeah, stock up for the cool season planting right now. Listeners to the GK Podcast, if you use coupon code GKPOD, you can save an additional 10% off our entire selection of warm season, cool season, and clover food plot seed. Get started today and visit plantbiologic.com for an unforgettable fall. I am Jeff Foxworthy, and welcome to Gamekeeper Podcast. If you want to learn more about farming for wildlife and habitat management, then buddy, you are in the right place. Join the Gamekeeper crew direct from Mossy Oak Land Enhancement Studio as they discuss the latest wildlife and habitat management practices, news, and of course, hunting. There's no telling what you'll learn, but I'm going to tell you, I bet it's interesting. Enjoy. We're live in three, two, one. Jason McKellar. In the house. Yeah, how about that? The contest coordinator. That was a nice intro. That was. It was. Really good. So, guys, uh, look, this is the 100th episode. Do you remember the first episode? No. You didn't even know what a podcast was. I did not know what a podcast was. That's a lot. I don't... It just didn't seem like that long ago. It, it just, time has flown by. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you guys have been doing like well, four or five to, a week. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, not that many actually. I mean, maybe one point five a week. And kudos to you for making us get to wrangle us in here each week. Oh. You've done it a hundred times. Yeah, I didn't. I never thought we would. Li- I thought for sure that Toxie and them would come in and go. Yo, have you guys lost your mind? Yeah. Oh, what? A pod? What? Yeah, yeah. And I, from what I understand, we're what number thirty six in Ireland. Good night, Mike. All right, there it is. Is that Irish or is that? You know, we dropped in France. Uh, you know, go figure. Yeah. And, uh, and, and we're screaming up the charts in Ireland. Ireland. Yeah. Oh, That's great. Deal. Cheers. Well, those, I- those, uh, those Irish guys that love uh, the dogs. Oh, yeah, that's right. The kennels. The origins of the, of the kennel are actually over there, so that's pretty I'd cool. love one day to go to Ireland and go hunt that traditional way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Meet the original, the OG gamekeepers yeah, over there. Yeah, yeah, well. pretty cool. So, look, uh, welcome to West Point, Mississippi, everybody, and uh, the home of Mossy Oak, the Gamekeeper Kennels, and uh, 100th episode. The, the 100th Here episode. We are. Yeah, in the we're in the Gamekeeper Studio yes, as that's well. Right. So this is this is really exciting to be at 100. It is it was very exciting. We got Marcus Lashley over there. Yeah. I feel honored to be number 100. Yeah. <laughs> well, you just happen to be driving by. You got, you got like, hey, do y'all need to record anything? Yeah. Lured him in with the fried chicken. That's what it was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it is hot outside, and right now Woo. I can smell chigger red. It's, I, I, it's chigger good. season. I, they've already eaten me up so much they don't want any more of me. No, 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 no. <laughs> I, I got into some that were immune to permethrin the other day, and I, I probably got 30 or 40 bites on each leg. It's oh. amazing how bad those things are. I just got over them. Yeah, I, I was a couple of weeks ago walking around. Same, th- I didn't have permethrin on, but man, I got to eat up. It's a grind with them, that's for sure. Do you get to get out in the state of Florida much and and walk some of those properties and it like I imagine you do? Cause yeah. Florida is so diverse. You it guys really have is. it is unbelievable. It, it, I, I love that about it. Yeah, I do too. So just this week, the the and I hope we're going to have these guys on. I've got it kind of teed up. The guys that killed that or caught that. 
217 pound that Bur- snake. Yeah, the Burmese python. Yeah. Whoo. And then y'all got bears and mm. panthers and, yeah. and great wild turkeys. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And a lot of good fishing. Oh, my. A lot of good fishing. Lobster and phosphate pits, big bass. All the stuff you'd pull out of a wetland, we got it. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, and it, you know, I like to talk about the deer too, because we have basically the the most diverse deer herd, and that's true. I never state. thought about that. The key deer, all the way up. Yeah, yeah. we've got. I mean, uh, you know, aside from the subspecies, just the the whitetail breeding days. Mm. They're they're breeding in ten or twelve months somewhere in the state, and it's just amazing to me. Always a rut in Florida. Yeah. I saw I saw several bucks well over one thirty. Take you know, like just on mm-hmm. Facebook, uh, you know that that hurricane came through a few years ago mm-hmm. and created a bunch of new cover on, yeah. on a lot of public ground down there. Mm-hmm. And you wouldn't believe the big deer people are killing down I, there. I'm always surprised about it, and you know, even in some there's some places in the state that are pretty consistent where they're producing some good deer you know that people would be proud of anywhere and then some places like you're talking even down in the central part of the state that are pulling out some you know some deer that i just would i'm astonished constantly Mm. but it's a it really is amazing so even though florida has this huge population there are still a lot of large private landowners that are are managing and doing things correctly in some places oh yeah down uh there's some really big landowners down in the central part of the state you know if you kind of think down the okeechobee area and uh a lot of them are you know they're they're working lands so there's some sort of cattle operation generally but there's some other agriculture as well and then you you kind of move up into the the panhandle, and you got you have those quail plantations, mm-hmm. and and things start popping up, and people are really intensively managing for quail mm. over there, and uh, it it really is. I, I I get to walk around on a bunch of land that's being managed in different ways, and do a lot of research on it, and it really is fun. You know, you don't realize most people that don't haven't lived in Florida don't realize how diverse it is from a nature standpoint. You know, you think about going to the beach or something, but uh, the whole spine of the state, and it, uh, there's a, a big effort to put together a corridor that connects the southern part of the state all the way to Georgia and all the way to Alabama, hmm. and it's mostly intact, which is pretty incredible. That you is know, pretty have natural like a land. wildlife corridor? Yeah, it's a wildlife corridor, yeah, the Florida Corridor Project, yeah. and uh, it, it's basically the whole spine of connected – Land, uh, you know, there's some roads uh, bisecting it, but undeveloped land, all, that whole thing. Like and you this is really far fetched, but I'd I'd love to see that done in the Mississippi Delta. You know, yeah. like from the from the woods on the levee, maybe cut through yeah. uh, Dahomey Refuge, and then yep. continue across. Yeah, if you look at it on an aerial, it, you know, you just see little patches of woods, you know, interspersed. Yeah. And most of the time, it's somewhere that's too wet to plant or something. But uh, it's much more of a you know, like a an island system almost mm-hmm. of the the uh, non agriculture, but in Florida that that corridor is pretty intact. It's, it's amazingly so. You know, based on what my perception of Florida was before I you know moved there. I've read a book recently, last couple of years, and I, the name of it is just just right on the tip of my tongue. But it it was about the Florida panther, and it was about the importance of that corridor, mm-hmm. and how there've been several panthers that had 
walked the entire corridor. So, mm-hmm. uh, and I, I think that may have been one of the main yeah. uh, reasons for uh, the, the effort to keep that thing intact. Yeah. Well, it, it definitely has been a, a big part of that push because species like that need such a huge landscape of connected land. And it's actually pretty interesting, even globally, uh, a lot of the huge scale corridor projects like that are are spearheaded by conservation for a big cat species like that so at some point love a big cat yeah we do and we love to talk about them and at some point you've got to run across and meet the right person that we could have as a guest on the podcast to talk about the florida panthers and the yeah. effort that's gone into to trying to to preserve them mm-hmm. yeah that it's been a pretty amazing story and I, i'm definitely not the right person to talk in detail about it <laughs> Uh, but I I know some of those people that have worked on it for a long time. Some of them have worked on it since the beginning, uh, you know, when there was reintroductions and and uh, all that stuff. Uh, it's pretty amazing. It really is. Effort. Yeah, because the, the book I read talked about how they went and got some cats out of West Texas and brought mm-hmm. them in there to, to add to the bloodline. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep, just trying to deal with that, that uh, inbreeding depression. Yeah. It's well, like a fascinating it's, story, and and one of the indicators were the tips of their tails. Yeah, it curls up. Yeah, didn't the like the hair on their back stand up more or something? I, I think there that was were another there was indicator. a series of traits that kind of make you squint. Like what? <laughs> but yeah, there there are several traits like that that were indicating that there was problem genetically in the population. Mm-hmm. Cool stuff. I love I love what you guys do. The no biologists, doubt about it. yeah, and what y'all study, how they all study the things we love, and mm. try, it's just fascinating. Well, and every time they come in, it's like, I'm looking at the pictures of the wildlife, you know, the Florida Wildlife Corridor right now, and uh, just yeah. adds a different perspective to you know what we do every day. I've t- I was telling you, Bobby. I mean, you know, even for me, I've, I've had the pleasure of being in the woods a lot, but it's changing the way I'm looking at the landscape. You know, yeah, from stem to stern. Well, you know, the I think that. You know, it's kind of a an interesting topic to to just put into perspective that that corridor was driven by that species, but you know what else is benefiting from that? Turkeys. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm uh, working with a group right now. We're trying to get a project funded to look at the motivations of landowners to join into the corridor, and uh, that was the you know if we got funded, my role in it would be looking at how important turkeys are to the landowners and the fact that you've connected all the populations through that that area Hmm. and uh you know people won't think about that we we had that one species that kind of spearheaded that effort but man there's a lot of stuff that's going to benefit yeah not just cats Mm -hmm. (laughs) how about that well so today uh before we get started we've got jason mckellar's over here and uh this being the 100th episode which one is it 100 the the 100 this is 100 and, and so for the last four episodes maybe five episodes we've given away some prizes so guys had a chance to win a 200 $250 gift card for the gamekeepers fieldware at gamekeepersfieldware.com that's a great prize that was the first one then we gave away some leopolds are going to give away some leopold sunglasses which are awesome there yeah that's (laughs) fantastic uh russell boots can you imagine i mean those are the, the great boots I've wanted some. Have you got a pair life. of them, Marcus? I don't. Uh, we'll get many, you hooked up. Many yeah, of them, Marcus. Yeah. I yeah. need some. Yeah, they're they're, the they're fantastic. <laughs> so, uh, and then the uh, the the Gunner Kennel. 
if you've got a dog, you gotta have a gunner kennel. You gotta have a gunner yeah, kennel. It, it should, should. Hey, and I think uh, they just came out with some in Greenleaf too. So yeah, they did. Yeah. They sure did. Nice. And then the grand prize is the Browning A five. And Toxie's not here, so we can say it's coming out of his sink. I don't know why, <laughs> what he keeps thinking, but it is a brand new one. It's unfired. Yeah. But it, uh, it look at what a beautiful gun. Oh, no doubt in about the it. Land. I love yeah. mine. Yeah. So it's a celebration. It really the hundredth episode. So, Jason, uh, guys listening to this, what? Uh, how do they find out if they won? What's what are you doing? So, so when this episode airs, it'll be July fifth. At that point, you can go uh, on the website. We'll have the uh, all the winners picked. Uh, we have, of course, the hundredth episode web page. You can go to or just gamemossyoakgamekeepers dot com slash podcast giveaway. We'll announce them all. And of course, we'll put it on social media. And we'll also send an email to the winner, so be sure to check your inbox if your name's on there so you can figure out how to claim your prize. Nice. Yeah, and we'll have to validate those uh, those guys. Make so sure if somebody, somebody doesn't out. claim their prize, can we keep it? Mm. Oh, yeah. We'll have to look at the contest rules. <laughs> we have to look at the fine it. print. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So on the 101 episode, if we get to do Are we going to keep on doing that? I hope so. We'll, 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 if we get <laughs> to do a oh, hundred, I thought we were yeah, done. Yeah, we had <laughs> Uh, <laughs> so uh, we'll, we'll be able to mention everybody's names. Uh, that's, th- right. Th- yeah, that won, that's right. That so. and, uh, and this is a good point for me to point out. You know, we do this little trivia thing at the end of the show. Yeah. Some of our listeners have been posting great reviews, but then they are trying to sneak something by us. One guy did. He snuck it by me, this uh, Duche Lips Oh, guy. gosh. But said it our again. listeners are coming up with some crazy do you names. Know, do you know Duche? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know who that uh. is. But so I just look, guys. If I have to look at the Urban Dictionary to figure out what your <laughs> name is, probably not going to read. Probably not going to make it through your column. That's right. So, You've enjoyed that Urban Dictionary. Haven't you? Well, now that I know that it exists, <laughs> I didn't know what some There's of that stuff an app was for that. Yeah. Oh, you can Urban. Oh, we need to get that. <laughs> Marcus, you got to see what some of these names. Are. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, man. Anyway, guys, so if you, if you wouldn't say it in front of your mama, don't put it out there on <laughs> for us. So. Jason, is there anything else we need to say about the, the winner? This is real exciting. I hope uh, somebody well-deserving wins the prize. Oh, yeah. I yeah, think we've had a lot it. of sign-ups, Just too. Congratulations to the winners, and thanks for participating. That's right. Yeah, well, good deal. Okay, one last thing I want to mention. We always do a commercial and, uh, and, and I, Lanny, I'm so excited to tell the world about Me this. Me too. We had, for a couple of years, a product called BCP. BCP! Bean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, beans, corn, and protein. It was in a 40-pound bag. It's the most attractive protein deer feed Yeah, it was I've developed for overall herd health. So we put a lot of time and energy developing this thing. I mean, it's got all, everything, you know, it really needs. We wanted to create a better Better product is what it comes down to. This is better for overall herd health. So you wouldn't really believe this coming back. You wouldn't believe the phone calls we got. You know, it, it started getting difficult to find in yeah. certain stores, and people were like, "I'll buy a whole pallet." Yeah, you know, they just, want it. Yeah, and uh, but we finally got it figured out. And yeah, it's, it's Bobby's back. been working his, his booty off getting it, it ready. So it's gonna be. It's it now. Uh, guys can go now. It's in tractor supply right now. Yep. And I'm, know, going, I'm leaving here and going to get some. There are tractor supplies everywhere, but it's in a, it's in that white bag with purple writing. It's called Biologic BCP. It's a 40 pound bag of beans, soybean, roasted soybeans, corn, and a really good protein powder. Really good brand. Yep. Super so. attractive. Super nutritious. So, yep. Get out so, there and get it. That's right. 
Okay. All right. So looking across the table, Marcus, we hadn't put you to sleep yet. You're sitting there. You got a smile. I don't know if it was you or the chicken. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And uh, Marcus is one of our favorite guests. We've we've enjoyed having him. He hails from a part of the world, but very special part of the world. No doubt about it. Special to all of us. We love to turkey hunt. Home of the dummy line. Home of the well, dummy line. Yeah. <laughs> Good book. Yeah. The first time we met was when you were teaching here at Mississippi State yeah. and uh, did a tour of the nursery, and then we went out to the to the uh, prairie, the 16th yeah. section prairie, and identified yeah, a bunch of prairie plants for some students. It was fun. Yeah, I was teaching wildlife plants. That's what the class was called. Okay. I need to take that. Speaking down. of chiggers. <laughs> oh, yeah. Did you, was did you get some? Oh, electric? I got covered up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Marcus, let's think about it. Right now, it's almost July. You're a gamekeeper. Wherever you yeah. are, Minnesota to Florida, what mm-hmm. what can you be doing this month that, to help get ready for hunting season? Well, I, you know, one thing you need to do is stay out of the heat because mm-hmm. it's hot, right? <laughs> especially in Florida. I don't know if it's been hot around here, guys. Oh, yeah. but, it's been uh, kind of steepy. We've yeah, been there's hitting a, 100. There's a bunch of st- – Things out there like chiggers that want to bite you or, you know, plants that want to stick you or whatever. But, you know, one of the things that I think is important that is really good to do right now is to get out with the objective to learn. You've got a whole suite of plants out there right now that are flowering or they're going to seed, and it's it makes it obvious what they are, and you can see them. And, uh, you know, some of those – Folks have seen online where we'll be posting seeds that we're finding in in uh, turkeys or whatever, and they're wondering what it is. Well, all that stuff is easy to identify right now. And, uh, you know, that's one thing that you can do and not get too hot while you're doing it. You can ride around <coughs> on ATV or, or in the truck or something and really get a good handle of what's going on with the plants on your property. Particularly, you know, think about turkeys. They're... They're in a situation right now where they, you know, they need a suite of forbs like we've talked about. Well, a lot of those forbs are pretty hard to identify when they're not flowering. So right now, a whole bunch of them are, and, it, and it's much easier. Plus, it's just nice to look at them. Yeah. Uh, so that's one thing that that you can do. Deer the same way. You know, they're the does are lactating right now. That's really stressful trying to raise fawns. You know, you can see what kinds of things are available for them to eat during the summer. And well, <clears throat> go ahead. No, I was just going to say, that's great. You know, we're always talking about stuff, you know, active treatments you can be doing. Yeah. Uh, and one of the things we need to be doing that a lot of folks may be missing out on, especially the more hardcore folks, is to just sit back and observe. Yeah. Make mental Learn notes, something. write them down, ride yeah. around. Gosh, this yeah. is too grassy. This is too weedy. Or, yeah. you know, I want to let this grow. Or I think I'm going to set that back next right. year. Or, and right now... Yeah. A lot of the things that you want to see or that you were trying to encourage on your property are really showing out right now. Yeah. So you can see them. And, uh, you know, that's a that's an important thing. And, when you know, sometimes we need to just take a step back and think in that, you know, in that vein that this is an opportunity to go out and learn. You may not want to crank the, the chainsaw right now. It's hot, right? Uh, you know, that there are some things that you can do the chainsaw that are good and the timing is good but it's hot so uh you know there's there's nothing wrong with changing your mindset to this is an opportunity for me to go out and learn maybe there are some problems that you need to address there's some of them that are really easy to identify right now that are very difficult to 
identify when you would address them. For instance, we were talking about earlier, if you have something invading your food plot, like Italian ryegrass or, you know, weed that you don't want in it, well, maybe you've planted a, a fall f food plot with, with uh, you know, some grasses and, and clovers and stuff mixed together. And uh, if you try to see whether or not you have those problems in the fall when you would spray it, it's not as obvious, right. but right now, all the Italian ryegrass, that cool season, it, it you know flowered and went to seed in the the spring, and it's still standing there dead, and just as obvious as it can be. Yep, saw right some now. the other day, checking yeah. a clover plot. Yeah, and so now you know, oh man, that thing's really gotten covered up with, with ryegrass, and I didn't even plant that. You know, then you can put that on the list, okay, this is something that, that I need to address this mm -hmm. fall, and maybe that's your opportunity to plant something that you can easily take care of the problem. So, you know, with that one, for instance, it's a grass, you might not want to plant, a, you know, a mix in your plot that has grass in it so that you can just spray a grass-selective herbicide and take care of your issue. Yeah. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. So I, I think that's that's something that's overlooked a lot. We always want actions, you know, like you were saying, Dudley. Oh, no, you're right. And so these, these rye grasses, these take like, they're they're just in the seed bank from years ago when somebody may have planted that plot unknowingly planted it in ryegrass thinking they were doing something good. Yeah. Well and sometimes it was knowingly and sometimes it might have been by accident. Sometimes it's colonizing. It it seems to be really good at spreading. Man, it does. And it you know, if it goes to seed, man, it's there. Mm-hmm. It, you really gotta it's the you one know, thing you, you I say we have in every yeah. plot we have. Yeah, it's always a problem yeah, in this part of the world. You know, I, I go and look in food plots really commonly where people have planted stuff that does not include ryegrass, and they got it. Mm -hmm. And uh, in some cases, it'll be plots that have just been cleared. You know, they never planted it before. It might have been a logging deck or something, and they still have it. So it's, you know, colonized. It seems to be really good, and it's really good at sticking around if you don't take care of it you know, uh, spraying it before it goes to seed. At the right time of year. Um, well, and that would be when the seed is doughy. Isn't that right? Yeah. Isn't that what ta y'all taught me last week? Okay. Uh, yeah, you learned yeah. something. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I know y'all probably went into <laughs> that in detail. You know it <laughs> <laughs> All right. Your, I got a, your guess I got week. one. <laughs> um, yeah, well, if you were going to crimp it to kill yeah. it, yeah. that's when you do it. So, is that uh, a, you still got that on your notes right there? <laughs> no, no. I don't know how I remember that. <laughs> so uh, now would be a good time, uh, wouldn't it be to like if, to work on your road? So if it's hot and dry, it'd be the best yeah, time well, you could get Yeah, if you're doing some road grading for sure. Yeah. And work on your tractor, get ready. I mean, because it's not long before we start bush hogging. What, a couple of weeks? I mean, what's, the, what's the typical? Well, July you know, 15th, is that know, right? It just depends on where you are in yeah. the country. But. 75 days. We're, I, look, I counted it the, uh, yeah. uh, this morning. We'll be shooting doves. 75 days from now. Yeah. Man, you better get mm. to work on our dove field, Bobby. I know it. There's a lot of plants to right in that 60-day window right there. That <laughs> yeah, we need some weather. Yeah, we need some rain. Yeah. Right now, um, so I was just talking to folks last night how dry it was. Man, and, it, and it's, Makes it, tough. it is. And I hate to say it's not even that humid, but it's pretty crazy <laughs> out there. Yeah. <clears throat> so identifying those plants, uh, you know, and that's a lot – you guys talk about it. We last week we had uh, Dr. Craig Harper. He's mm -hmm. got a book that that, that uh, has a bunch of 
photo IDs. It, yeah. It's one of the better ones I've seen at being mm -hmm. able to show you what, what that plant looks like and help yes, identify. No, no doubt. And in, in, in terms of general field management, I mean, it, that is the book. Mm. And, and it has a, a section in the back. Uh, I don't know if y'all noticed, I was one on one of the pages in yeah. there because I was, I was one of his graduate students back in the days and helped collect some of that data. But, uh, yeah, that, that book is really great. And I, I commonly, you know, am introduced to landowners and they, they already know a lot of the stuff because they've been reading that book mm. and they're, they're teed up ready. To sure. be a, you know, j just an exceptional gamekeeper because of that. That's well, that's one of the most gamekeeper buddies have gotten me one. <laughs> Thanks, Bobby. That's one of the most impressive <laughs> tools I've come across in the last few years. I, I was blown away flipping yeah. through it. I so, to order one. do you use? Uh, I'll, I'll work on that later. <laughs> so, do you use uh, any apps to help you identify plants? Uh, I have a couple of them, but and, and there are some that are really good. But I generally don't because I teach wildlife plant ID all the time. Right. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I mean, there's plenty that I don't know what it is, but I have a pretty good handle usually on on most of the things I'm seeing. Well, look, I'm not and, going back to college, and I'm certainly not going to the <laughs> University of Florida anytime soon. Y'all, y'all are a long ways away. Yeah. But so, is there an app that you'd recommend? Uh. Let's see. Uh, is it called? Oh, there's one called Picture This. Is, have you tried it? Well, that's that was the one I was trying to think of something this. A picture this. I think. Uh, but one thing that I also I keep up to date on the apps is because the students that are taking some of these classes want to use those apps. Ah. Uh, instead of keying them out. <laughs> yeah. 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 Take, can't so, take shortcuts. But that, that. yeah. Uh, that that app, and then uh, I think it was. Is it iNaturalist that a lot of folks Yeah, are and then, and then just Google. To, yeah. Uh, what is it? Google Photo or something? Yeah, I think that's what Bronson was using. Yeah, Bronson was telling me about yeah. that. But so the there, there are several of them that are really good. But they're not always going to be correct. Right. Um, especially with some, you know, some of the bigger genuses and uh, mm -hmm. lesser known things. It's like an algorithm. So the more photos that get taken and positively identified, the, yeah, more the, robust the better it, it works. Yeah. Right. So. When I did the thing just, I don't know, it was probably a week or two ago on social media because people keep sending me pictures of stuff asking me what it is, which is fine. I like, you know, to I like to see people out there trying to figure out stuff, so I'm good to take all those questions. But it, I was getting so many with all these flowers right now because they're the forbs that they're all trying to, to get out on the landscape. And uh, I was out in the woods and i just was like you know what i'm gonna find everyone i can find and identify it and put it online and i don't know i probably got up to about 50 wow 50 just walking general. around yeah and, and i was in a place you know i was in quail country where it was a really good place to get a whole suite of forbs but it's probably 50 genera that uh and that also I, I added a whole bunch to it because i in my own yard I've been kind of slowly converting it into something that you don't need to mow. Mm -hmm. And uh, the best here, here. way to do that is to convert it into flowers because uh, my wife likes the flowers. So that's what kind of what I've been doing with it. But we got a whole bunch of good stuff in the yard now. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I just started taking pictures of them and putting them online, just telling people what they are so you can figure it out. But there, there are all kinds of great resources out there for sure. Mm -hmm. So, and it's getting easier and easier where you can just have an app and take a picture of it, and, and some of them are really accurate. I know that's on a flower. Yeah, it's uh, my yard is 
<laughs> my yard is a piece of work. Uh, you know, 20 <laughs> years ago, I think the city would have, you know, made me move or something. Yeah, but, condemned your yard. Yeah. <laughs> I think people are more accepting of that now. Well, have you had any of your neighbors get into your yard and start mowing it? No, not yet. <laughs> See, that, that's when you really step that's up when your you game. Yeah. <laughs> when your neighbors are getting upset enough that they're right. trying to mow it for you. <laughs> no, I don't think I've owned a mower in six years. So, good for you. Yay though. for me. Yeah. Yay for you, for sure. Mine's, mine's about half and half. But so. the grandparents all think my kids are going to get bit by a snake, <laughs> so I'm, I'm hoping that doesn't happen. Yeah. That'd be awful. Yeah. Yeah, it would. <laughs> that would be awful. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they would probably rain down all You'd probably kinda. be cutting your grass. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Okay, let's kick that off, because I'm going to ask a question about partridge pea. <clears throat> okay. That'll go along those lines. Are you, are you wanting to get into the ecology of it? Because that's a really interesting species. <laughs> uh, well, I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing it that tall flowering. Yeah. And then I see it on the side of the road that tall flowering. And, mm -hmm. you know, is this plant just not getting enough sunlight, enough nutrients or whatever? But it's still it's flowering yeah. and trying to produce the seed. But Well, you're actually probably seeing two. Well, actually more than two things. There's a few things that could be going on. One, there's multiple species of it. Ah. Uh, and they're different sizes. Yeah, and there's that selection called lark that gets huge. Yeah, and that a lot was, of people, a lot of biologists is, and stuff say that one's too too yeah. big. Well, there, yeah, and there's another one where we've bred the plants, and, and uh, you'll see that when we're trying to plant it yeah. to, to in places, and that's exactly right. It just gets <clears> so big, and it, it can be on really productive dirt. I mean, it can be too much for what you're trying to accomplish with it because mm. it gets so big and it's so aggressive, and you'll see it just kind of start moving real fast into other places, and and uh, I've heard folks, you know, they're not real high on, on uh, some of those cultivars because of that. But uh, the other thing could be, you know, that it, partridge pea is a legume. And uh, with that association with, with the rhizobia, it, it basically gets nitrogen from that bacteria that's fixing it. And uh, that allows it to colonize some places that are pretty poor. And, uh, you know. You may be seeing it in dirt that's just really poor. Right, and right. And it, it's just stressed, but it's able to deal with it because it has adaptations to, to deal with that, that really poor area, especially right now it hadn't been raining. It's really droughty. It makes it even worse in, in those areas. So. so it's almost like it just decides to use its remaining energy on making yeah. a seed instead of trying to get bigger. Yeah. And, I mean, and it, the one 10 feet away that's in a – slightly better spot was able to get a lot bigger before yeah, maybe it had a little extra moisture and or maybe it was one of the, the other species or the, the cultivars or or something you know it's maybe a suite of those things happening at once yeah but yeah uh one of the effects of drought on annual forbs is when it you know starts stressing them to a level that they they just go on and flower and try to try to produce seeds before they die you know like the millets we plant on duck holes um, they seem to do that. You know, mm -hmm. you can plant them early, and they'll get they'll get taller and, and have a seed head. And then if uh, we've been gradually planting them later and later every year, trying to avoid army worms, and yeah, uh, sure have. they'll still mm -hmm. make a seed head on a plant that's ten inches tall. Mm -hmm. Yeah, during the right time. Mm -hmm. Sure will. Well, we're not far from army worm time <laughs> at all. Mm -hmm. 
Don't say them. it again. <laughs> so, so, Marcus, there we talk about things that a gamekeeper gamekeeper could be doing right now and it seems yeah. like the overall consensus answer that you got the the biologist community that y'all come back to us with was learn your trees learn your plants learn your property those yeah. kind of things so and you were indicating you were talking about indicator species can mm-hmm. you kind of give us some advice on sure. what a guy can look for and learn from yeah no, that's a that's a really important thing and i, I don't think people appreciate it enough is how's it going? Uh, we got Toxie just walked in, in the room there. Yeah, yeah. L- he, he into the room. Right here. <laughs> so, you know, a lot of people don't appreciate, you know, just take it upon yourself to learn a little bit about what's going on on your property and not just where the deer are laying down or whatever. That stuff's important too, but what are they eating? Be able to identify some of those plants and uh, they're, you don't, you know, it's a daunting task. You, you, a lot you of might stuff growing a, out there. You might have a hundred <laughs> acres, and it may have a thousand species on it. I mean, you're not going to learn all that. Right. That's not, you know, you, that's not necessary either to do that to be a good gamekeeper. But there, there are a suite of really common plants that are good indicators that you're doing some stuff right. Such as, like common ragweed, uh, pokeweed. Uh, some of the milkweeds, like butterfly milkweed, let's see, uh, uh, the partridge pea, like we were just talking about. You know, if you're seeing a lot of those, it's particularly annual forbs, then you're doing some stuff right. You're creating some some early successional plant communities that are so valuable for turkeys, especially for brood rearing, but also deer foraging you know those things are peaking in nutritional value right when they need it so you know you don't have to learn all of them but there are a suite of plants like that 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 you could learn maybe five or ten and that goes a long way for you to evaluate how well are you doing and uh we were talking about this earlier but uh folks don't really have an excuse anymore you know if you don't want to learn from a book or I don't know, watching a YouTube video yeah. or something. You probably or, don't want to go take uh, a course with me on it. Now, college, you know, but. now there's apps that, you know, can get you probably within 95% certainty. And, and yeah. on those species that yeah, were mentioned, are, probably 100% Yeah, they're, they're near 100% if you're getting a good picture in there. And, and there are several apps like that that are really good. And, uh, you know, I think that's something that's important that, that people just don't do enough. Just... Take the opportunity to get out on your property and learn, and it's fun, man. I I love trying to learn. Like I now I'm getting to the point where it's just a couple of plants here and there, you know, because I've been doing it a long time. But you know, you don't have to get to that level. You know, just there's there's a lot of value in seeing a a bed of flowers and knowing what they all are there yeah there's more satisfaction to showing yeah. up at your farm and doing stuff when you yeah and i have when you can have, see actually see your results i have personally watched landowners just light up mm-hmm. where they have something like that where they're see they've been seeing this purple flower and it's all over the place and they want to know what it is and then i tell them what it is and it, it may not even be one that's really that good for deer turkey or quail but you know, it could be a, a 
like bee balm or something, you know, it, it's just a really pretty flower, and they've been seeing it and want to know what it is, and then you go into, well, look at all these pollinators that, you know, that are associated with it, and, and check out this bee, it's a really rare one, and then they just light up, and then next thing you know, that we're over there eating lunch, and they're telling their neighboring landowners, hey, I got bee balm all over my <laughs> yeah. property, you know, and it doesn't even, it's not necessarily even directly influencing what they're their primary interest is but it's just it's the wonder of it's nature fun. yeah yeah and you, you know as a being a gamekeeper part of that is just just trying to promote nature and, and it's, and it's a learning a process i mean being a gamekeeper is never knowing enough about it yeah. to us you know because yeah. yeah. i do curiosity. i, I want to know everything that's out there what? i'm never going to be able to but right. you know. and just, we being, were, just wanting to yeah. that, that's important we were talking about this at lunch too, and it's it's so true. The it's like the more knowledge you get, mm-hmm. the more things you notice mm-hmm. in a negative way. <laughs> yeah. The more you the know, the more you don't know. Yeah, right. And yeah, that's uh, exactly right. Well, that that's one thing. It's sort of addicting, and you kind of go down this this rabbit hole, for lack of a better way to put it. You you end up trying to learn stuff about things you never even knew existed mm-hmm. just just prior to it. So you kind of get on that where you go more, you go deeper and deeper. I certainly have done that <laughs> plenty. No but, doubt. Uh, you also start noticing, man, that ain't right. No, you know? they shouldn't be doing that. <laughs> you know? Well, and you could probably it would help you like notice something like if Kogan grouse all of a sudden pop. Oh my goodness! Pop. Well, I, that everywhere. was the other thing I was going to say. You know, there's some indicators that are really valuable plants, but there's a handful of things that are really big problems. And if when you see it pop up. You better go on and take care of it, or it's going to become a bigger problem. I saw that I'm in my yard. In that right now. I, I found a patch of Japanese stilt grass in oh, my yard, and one. I, I would have just, you know, five or six yeah. years ago, I would have said, "Oh, that's that's kind of pretty," yeah. and it's there, you know. But yeah. now it's like, I got to get rid of that. Yeah, Japanese stilt grass, Cerisia lespidiza is another one that that can become a real big problem. Uh, uh, I forgot the other the the climbing fern, uh, Japanese climbing fern. Yeah, you know there there's a suite of plants like that that you need to go ahead and take care of them if they pop up. Lots of them. Wow. So look, let's change gears a little bit. You were telling us about this thing uh, called oak masting. Mm-hmm. Can you explain that to us and how Dudley got involved and it, yeah. and, and what you guys learned from this? Yeah, that it was a really cool study and you know. It, <clears throat> I, I guess part of it is a lot of people don't see where how how we make some of this research happen like this. Like this this project was something that we were really interested in, and and there's just not the traditional avenues to get grant funding for it. But landowners really care about it, and I care about it because I'm a hunter and I want to impact people's land. And you know it's hard to get funding for some of those kinds of things, and this was one of those ideas, but. Uh, we, well, I guess to back up, the oak masting, that's just a fancy term for saying that they all drop their seeds together. So that's what mass, mass seeding, masting, hmm. it, it just means that the plants all drop their seeds together, and it's a strategy of the of plants, and there are a whole bunch of things. The one we always think about is oaks, uh, but there are a whole bunch of plants all over the planet that do that, where they just synchronize m- mass production and uh mast you know that would be a hard mass with oak and uh, you could have soft mass which would be 
you know, your Blackberry or something like that. So uh, what we, we were interested in several things. The thing that was really motivating us is, you know, we sit in a tree stand and we, we found that white oak and sometimes you, you know, you have a stand sitting there and you just go back to it over and over because the same individual just rains it down year after year and the deer love it. And uh, we, we were trying to figure out, well, how much does it actually influence deer behavior? That masting individual, especially in a year where, no, you know, it, it may be the only oak in the place right. that, that's doing it. And uh, how much does it actually influence behavior? And we were trying to figure out how to do that. And uh, I remember sitting down with the student, Mariah, and uh, and, and Dudley knows him pretty well mm-hmm. now since he came over here a bunch. Uh, but we were trying to figure out, okay, how many acorns does a typical oak, we had this study site where we had gone out and mapped a bunch of oaks, and we had figured out how much canopy area they had, and we looked at a bunch of literature that counted how many acorns per canopy they would have on a decent mast year and all this stuff. And then we were like, we're going to calculate how many acorns would an oak, typical oak, produce. And it came out to, uh, it came out to 3,000 acorns for an oak. And we were sitting there and it's like, okay, well, we probably, you know, we were doing some some math just trying to figure out well how many oaks would we need to do this on and to to get the response and be able to to, you know do the science part of it and have a definitive answer and we figured out it'd be about 25 and it was like well darn that's 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 a lot of acorns that's seventy-five thousand acorns and i remember when we got to that point looking at him and he was sitting there in my office looking back at me and I was thinking he was going to be like, was there something else that we can do? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, can we redo this math or something? And instead, he's like, all right, that's what we're going to do then. So we were trying to figure out, well, how are we going to pick up 75,000 acres? We could help and, with that. <laughs> yeah, it's like it turns out we knew some folks that know how to make that happen. And uh we reached out to Dudley and asked, you know, hey, is there a way that we can, you know, get up with you guys and, and get some help to collect all these acorns? You know, maybe we can help you all collect some or whatever. And, and Dudley was like, hey, we got these, uh, what do you call them, a pecan picker? Yeah, our uh, acorn, acorn picking up in machines. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which is, you know, a funny-looking thing to begin with. It works like a champ. Though. It looks really sophisticated, and then when you learn what it is, then it doesn't look really sophisticated <laughs> at all. <laughs> you know, this is true. So, uh, yeah, Dudley let us borrow uh, some of those machines, and, and then Mariah went, went around, and the only thing we could find that, that year that had a considerable amount of mast on it was a uh, Shudmarred oak. That's a good, I mean, that, yeah, yeah, they're all over town. Yeah, they're mm-hmm. just planted all over town. And, and there were a handful of individuals where, I mean, the limbs were bending over. They were just ready, you know, to, to drop all these acorns. And uh, so we, we got the equipment, and, and Mariah went out there to pick an acorns up, and he literally picked up a truckload of them. It was so <laughs> funny. I got a picture of it where he uh, – He probably got way more than 75000 too. Well, he – yeah. I asked him, I was like, how do you know you had 75,000? Did you actually count all of them? He said, no, I counted 
like a hundred of them, he, a he gallon had, or something. Well, he he had a three gallon bucket, I think, is what he was doing, and he would fill the three gallon bucket up to the brim, and then he would pour that out and count how many were in it, and then he'd do that. You know, he did that a whole bunch of times, and he figured out that give or take about four or five acorns or something, he could predict how many were in that bucket. Yeah. And then he collected that many buckets worth. And, hmm. uh, I don't remember the details about that, but it's pretty funny to, you know, <laughs> see. You guys probably appreciate it more than anybody. No doubt about uh, it. What it's like to look at a, a truck bed full of acorns. <laughs> so what so, all did y'all learn? Yeah, it was a pretty incredible project. So basically what we did, we had these paired trees, and we call them parent trees, you know, ones that are producing acorns and we went out there and we, we did a couple of things one we just did a full survey all around the tree to see what native plants were all in the, the community around it and then we actually uh, bought some seedlings from native nurseries and uh, an oak species that you had a bunch of at the time and I don't remember which one it was but it was a red oak species and then uh, I think it was black gum which is tends to be higher preference for deer and we went out and planted a pair of them under each tree and then he went out and just simulated what it'd be like if the tree was masting so he literally figured out okay they produce about this many percentage per week you know through their masting and he tried to center it right when they would be doing it and it was a poor mast year so there weren't you know there weren't many in the woods to speak of but he just was out there slinging them out you know uh the number we had a camera on it monitoring deer use, and uh, we we were thinking we're going to figure out how many more bow shots we get if we sat on a tree that that had a whole bunch of acorns versus one that that didn't, and that was kind of motivating us. <laughs> <laughs> There's always that, an agenda, yeah. <laughs> even with the top flight. <laughs> yes. Well, we you know the other thing is what we know that deer are important, and the way this is, you know, everything's going down and. The, the oak tree is really important, and that, that interaction is important, and nobody thinks about any of that stuff. And we can do this really cool, fun experiment. We're going to learn a lot about hunting and do that ecology at the same time, and then we can publish it in a you know an ecology journal or whatever and, and get the science out. But, you know, of course, we don't put that part of it in the social media post or whatever. We're telling how many pe- you know, people how many more bow shots you're going to get on the tree. So... Uh, it it really changed my perception in a lot of ways uh, of oak masting. And I think Dudley would probably appreciate some of the things that we gleaned from it. But we put those acres out primarily in November when the shoe marge would have been dropping. And we did see a bump in deer use. And, and granted, there, there aren't any white oaks. You know, it was a mass failure that year. So we were thinking... We're going to put these things out, and the deer are going to be on them. And, you know, we put out 3,000 under the tree. They're going to be on it for a few weeks and suck all of them things up, and they're going to be gone. And we we put them out, and, you know, we, we were getting a few pictures of deer under it, and we might have doubled that. And then it kind of sat there, about double what we would expect. And, of course, we had another tree right beside it where we knew that they weren't using it, you know, right down and a whole bunch of these replicated across the landscape, and we kind of consistently stayed about double. Then we got in about mid-January, which was post-rut. It was in North Mississippi. We got about mid-January, and it just spikes, Hmm. goes through the roof in deer use. 
And I was like, wow. Okay, so basically we've just put out all these acorns, and there's not, mu- not many on the landscape, and they just let them sit there all the way till no- to, to, you know, from November till January, and then they had this huge spike in use, and then that was sustained all the way into the spring, like well into the spring. I think it was a total of, of uh, five or six months that we had higher deer use on the mass tree than we did on the, you know, the one where we didn't put any acorns under it. Hmm. So that was pretty, pretty impressive, but I learned some things about that uh, that I think are important from a hunting standpoint. You know, we we would have, if if you were just hunting and you saw this shoemart oak just raining down acorns in the woods, you wouldn't have seen that much deer use during November. And we would have interpreted that as they don't like that species. But what really was happening is they had a time when they liked that species. You know, they, they're doing their thing and eating, and then it came time where that became really important, and they switched to it. And, uh, you know, the acorns sat there for a good while. We were getting a little use on them, but then it just went through the roof. It's a huge spike in use. Hmm. And Interesting. You know, that, that got me think of several things. One, we, we talk about diversity, and, and I hear Dudley talk about, you know, diversifying the trees that you're using. And I, I've done it even with trees from, from your nursery on my own land where I have things that mast at different times. And that's a good way to to do that by having things that, you know, maybe they produce early in the year and things that produce late in the year and all in between. But it also takes it up another level where you could also be diversifying the resource availability by planting things that they like at different times of the year. They may all be dropping them. I mean, a lot of the oaks are dropping in November, at least part of their, their crop. But they, that doesn't mean that's necessarily when they're going to be using it. And, you know, with our white oak species, that they germinate pretty much as soon as they fall off the tree. That's much more ephemeral. You know, that's it's not going to stick around as a seed very long that's valuable. So we see wildlife really jump on those and hammer them right away when they're falling. But the red oak isn't going to germinate till spring. You know, they can potentially afford to, to wait a little bit longer till that's really important. So you may be diversifying it by changing species where you're, you know, where they're masting during the year, but also think about when, you know, when the animals really need the mast on it. And I, I just thought that was such a neat thing to learn from that because it, it just caught us completely off guard. We, we would have never thought. And it was consistent across the whole study, you know, 25 replications like yeah, that happened across the board. After hearing about all that, I really started hunting, you know, these upland sites that had, like, scarlet oak and black yeah. oak, which I normally didn't even think about. Yeah. Um, well, and when they're dropping acorns, there's not really that much going on with them. But, you know, when uh, – I've been a part of several studies where we were looking at what deer were eating, and, and uh, one of the studies – in North Carolina, we were looking at what they were eating, like in the March, and uh, they were just wearing out turkey oak. Hmm. And it's like, man, those things dropped months ago. Yeah. And uh, they had sat around and then, you know, got around to late February, March, and all of a sudden that became a hot resource and they started using them heavily. 
You think that's just because of the availability? You know, earlier in the year, there's just more mass crop out there, and it's more preferred because maybe it's got a better taste or higher. Well, I think some of it probably is that, but, you know, in our study here in North Mississippi, there wasn't anything available. Right. That was but there, there was some there were some other things available but that no were not more mass, mass, though. Gotcha. That makes sense. So, um, With turkeys, yeah. would they just – they're not that way, are they? If they if they wander under a tree that's dropping acres, they're going to scratch them up. They might be. Yeah, I well, I, I mean, the turkey use would pro- – probably not on that species, but on a lot of right. species, uh, they're probably a little less keyed in on the timing, I would guess. That's a pretty big acre. Yeah. Also sounds like y'all didn't have any hogs on that property. No, there's no hogs there. <laughs> no, now, that's, a, that have been now, gone. that's another thing that, that's really important, though. They wouldn't be able to wait on it if there's hogs there. <laughs> yeah, no, that's right. They probably would go ahead and take them. Yeah, they might out. get after them. I, mean, I wonder if does, does it, the, um, the tannins. Yeah, I mean, yeah, does, does, I do they blanch? I know they do on uh, – we've seen it time and time again if they're in water and rain, but if they're not – you know, if they're just dry – that may be something to study later on, yeah. or I, I don't know if you y'all did anything with that, but uh, well, you know, we, they supposedly, you know, according to lore, they they leach, yeah. but those tannins are, are what helps make that seed stay viable, yeah, and and edible well, further on. Uh, we did we collected a bunch of samples, and for one reason or another, we weren't able to get them tested, but. Uh, that was one of the things that we looked for, you know, with other publications to see it, could it have just been that it took them a while before they got right in terms of you know, and there's the yeah, there's also chemical more chemical changes that take place, uh, and uh, I think that you know like the uh, the carbs turn into starches yeah. or vice versa. It's something right. like that slowly over. Well, over time, one of the things, and maybe what you're alluding to, one of the things that, based on our literature review and just talking about this as scientists, you know, a bunch of us sitting around trying to figure out why, it it may have been that the seed was getting ready, and it started going to go with changes because it's getting ready to germinate. Yeah, you think about white oak. Well, that it's already going through those oh, changes, yeah. and then they key right in on the white oak. I, I, I didn't think about that. Yeah, so mm-hmm. it, that makes the a lot seed of sense. could have been getting ready to germinate. Maybe that changed some stuff, but and became we, more we don't have data. On the I'd, I'd love to see more continuation on this. Yeah, set well, of studies. It, it turned out being really cool in all kinds of ways. I mean, some of the ways that people could at least know about maybe uh, not as practical of information for you, but it's still interesting is that, you know, deer eating plants on the landscape are, are really important for the way that the plant community is responding to things and what you're actually seeing available. I mean, you're not seeing the things that they already ate, right? And, uh, you know, they like some species more than others, and, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on. So you remember I talked about the other things we did. We came back in and looked at the plant community around these trees where we put mast under some and didn't put mast under others and uh, looked to see, okay, we sustained elevated deer use on these things for months and months. You know, they probably were nibbling around on the plants more and more, you know, just more browsing in general around the ones that they were hanging out. So we literally had them bedding on in some of the areas where they're, you know, they're bedding on a bed of acres. You know, just sitting around eating the, the stuff. But, uh, you know, we thought that that probably matters to the plant community. And 
I think especially up in the northeast, deer kind of viewed as an enemy because they they ate a lot of stuff that we're trying to grow, you know, forestry-wise or, or whatever, and then folks that are in agriculture, you know, they're eating your crops or whatever, but we don't appreciate that they're a natural part of the system. And, you know, in this system, that that's a natural process that's happening. You know, these oaks, you have some trees that drop a lot and other ones, you know, may not ever drop anything. And what happened is the ones that, that we had the really high herbivory in, they had a whole suite of plants associated with that tree that were not present hmm. in the other one. And then that other, the ones where we didn't put any acorns had a whole suite of plants associated with it that weren't with the other. And when you put them all together, the whole system was more diverse because there was these little hot spots of where deer really browsed heavily and then other spots where they just didn't do much. So, like, I'm just assuming maybe the disturbance from from them Eating. hoofing yeah. up all the yeah. the the ground cover, that, and yeah. stepping on acorns and pushing them into the ground and making them sprout. And yeah, we had we had a series of, of hypotheses like that, trying to figure out well, what actually mechanistically is causing us to see some of these plants, and and uh, we we came up with a few ideas like that. That you know, the the deer are literally just turning over all the leaves and, and it wasn't just deer but deer were the really they were the wildlife species that really we saw a big increase in we didn't see that on anything else really and uh you know they're turning over all the leaves and kicking dirt and disturbing the soil but they're also eating a, a lot of the stuff and and uh coming back and repeatedly browsing on things and combination of those uh probably was pretty important for why um, we saw the plant community you know like with the rotational grazing with cows and things yeah. you know they're also pooping and peeing under that tree too yeah well that's another dropping thing. seeds and some of the like fertilizing a, and yeah i have a student right now that that is actually looking at to see what all seeds are they dispersed hmm. and, and uh you know that it's pretty common that you'll have a single pellet that'll have 10 plus seeds of forbs in it in particular good grief one pellet of of you know deer scat which isn't that big? Yeah, it's got ten se- ten species. How do those taste? That's, that's fascinating. I've never tried those. So, milk balls. So, what would three thousand Schumard oaks uh, acorns weigh? I'm thinking oh, from. Come on, Dudley. Dudley's got. This I'm one. thinking yes, off Dudley. the top of my head. We I want to say like water oak and cherry bark Come on, are Mr. like two hundred and fifty a pound. So. Something like Schumard is probably like 50 to 80 a pound. So where, where I'm trying to go is there, from your research, could y'all extrapolate and say that an average hardwood forest, an acre produces X amount of pounds of yeah. acorns on an yeah, average that number's, year? Right, that number's out there already. Some of that Harper. I did. I actually posted that. I calculated how many a typical oak stand per acre would produce in a, in a year. So I have a post where I did that. Yeah. I can't remember the number of acres. So many variables, though. So yeah, sure, yeah. sure. But it yeah. it was a, uh, I for, I forgot what the. It's number in is, the tons, though. I would expect. Yeah, it was a ton, literally tons of food hmm. that that could be produced by oaks, and that was just if they, you know, the average production, uh, and I think it was a stand stocking of you know, 100 trees per acre or something right. like that. Some of those trees don't produce at all. Some of them yeah. produce, you know. Some I of think them just. Some, a lot of the uh, Dr. Craig Harper stuff yeah. worked on that as well. I mean, you may of, have yeah. been a part of that. Well, I mean, what that, kind of canopies do you have to work with to start with if you're 
got a crowded forest, it's going to be yeah. dramatically different than one with spacing and yeah. big canopies. You know, for sure. But the that the study Harper study, I was the, me and one other student were the first two graduate students that helped him start that study, and then he went through six or eight generations of graduate students, and we just published last year or two the publication after 10 years of data collection on it. It was pretty interesting. And it led me to another one. I, I currently have a, a long-term oak mass study trying to figure out a different thing about it, and it's pretty interesting as well. This Kelsey Domeni is a graduate student, and she just sat down with me recently, and we looked at the data. And, it, you know, we're out there. We've got all these uh, – baskets it sounds it's as simple as it sounds we'll just put it that way it's just a thing under the trees to catch how many acorns are dropping and uh, we can estimate how many they do and one thing that just kind of blew me away about it i was not expecting is we had for instance water oaks she's got hundreds of water oaks that she's tracking and we had some that were peaking i'm talking about the same species at the same site we have some that are peaking and late September, early October, and some that are peaking in early December. Yep. You know, they're months, Absolutely. That's pretty months yep. apart. And I was just like, I can't believe, you know, I, I've been thinking about all this as they're all synchronizing and trying to mm-hmm. rain it down. And and uh, it, we had four or five species that she was tracking, and they were all like that. We have individuals that are, you know, they may be months apart. That The water oak's extreme, but... Even some of the, you know, we had white oak and swamp chestnut oak, for instance, and they're still, there's yeah, a lot. Yeah, that's what's so neat about it. That's what we love so much about the oaks is there's yeah. so much variation and room for improvement. Look, I've watched it for so long. Dudley has lived it for so long now. I'm convinced it's a genetic predisposition. I mean, even within a species. And water oak is a great one. I mean, it's yeah. one of my favorite oaks. No doubt. Yeah. But there's, some are more. Closely, you know, but like even the around here, the famed nut all, you know, the rut oak because they're so late. But you'll find them sometimes early. really early. Yeah. Yep. So there's like what two or three months from, well, say two months in the Easy, peak, the peak of those. I two. think I I I would venture to say shumard might be the one that varies the most. Yeah. Um, you know, we've got shumards that we collect yeah. in yes. mid October. I've got shoemards that hang on to the tree until mid March. Yeah, I'll see. When you do that yeah. early season, is there anything going on yet in September around here, late September? And you'll find you'll find a shoemard starting to occasionally. Um, yeah, but that's it's really cool. it's fascinating, you know, studies like that. You know, where you and Mariah were putting the acorns under the tree. Yeah, it just tells you that there's more of a you know it's. They're, they all have so many jobs, and they and everything in that forest is working together. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know whether whether you believe in God or not, uh, it's oh, it's unbelievable. Uh, How can you not? <laughs> it's it, come on. You yeah. know, it's like a it's kind of like some of those pollen books, those mm-hmm. Michael pollen books. Everything's working together. Yeah, it's um, all and connected. talking. Yeah. Well, he's referring, and, uh, you know, referring to it as a plant community. You know, that, it yeah, is. Ex- expands yeah. the understanding. It's a miracle every time. And it's everywhere. not just the plants. It's the, you know, the yeah. fungal association. It speaks to what y'all were talking about yeah, when I came in. It's like the, literally that is something. In, in fact, the, the more you know, the brightest research minds in the world are the ones in the most wonderment about it because yeah. they, they see more and more yeah. and have more a broader awareness of everything going just like him when he goes in the woods or Dudley. They see so much more than 
the average person who doesn't understand much. So they wonder even more. It's just amazing. Uh, yeah, I just realized just more and more amazing. that I know less and less. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> well, that's why. What, <laughs> that's what game Yeah, that's about a bigger be, picture thing about being a gamekeeper. What's yeah. so incredible about what we do? To me, if you get to that point. Because it goes back to what I talk about time, and you only have so much time, at least here on earth with this, and you get so much more joy and so much more wonderment out of every day in the woods than mm-hmm. just, you know, what did you score? Did I kill? Did I not kill? Oh, I didn't have a good hunt. I mean, there's just so much more, but you have to understand it to be able to get to that level. Yeah. So, what I will say also, listen, every time Craig was here, listening to you many times now, so many smart people, and you just learn so much. But one thing's a common thread every time if you're making decisions about your place and you're not sure for for whatever you're doing, diversity every time. Every time. I mean, yeah. there's different things to is. diversify. But if you're not sure, choose diversity yeah. Yeah. every time. Well, that, I think that's one of the beautiful things about the Oaks. Like yes. it made me realize there was diversity on other levels with the same thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. I've been thinking about – diversity okay well, we get, well maybe you could have diversity in age classes right so you have things that are producing at different ages all right that's another level of diversity or you could have species diversity or now we could even think about it in terms of diversity of when wildlife respond to it right. or having diversity of the genetics of individuals on your place uh, within a species because they'll diversify mm-hmm. what they're doing you know it's just like we get on you know, we we start ending up with a diversity of ways to diversify. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. There's there's like so that. many. Uh, I've always obsessed over over cup oak. It's mm-hmm. it's a fascinating species to me. And people are like, well, you know, don't plant something if it's not within a fifty mile radius of you know. And I'm thinking, well, an over cup oak could. An acorn could fall out of a tree yeah, be in mobile. southern Indiana the next day, yeah. and be in the Gulf of Mexico. That's right. Or mm-hmm. or land on some you know go flood, flood in the Mississippi Delta <laughs> and land at you know one Concordia thing, Island. Uh, yeah, it'll you know, arrive up on an island seven hundred miles Gulf. away and sprout and grow. We, did, we obsess yeah. over these naturally occurring hybrids. It's just been a hobby mm-hmm. for me, and then Dudley, and then the whole group kind of, and we're kind of known for them, but. Um, you know, I would say we've probably discovered more, maybe because we paid attention to running that are crossed with uh, overcup. And if you look at what may be even available from other people, which is pretty rare, it seems like the overcup or maybe the burr further north is creates more that people find or whatever. What I was getting to is like uh, everyone I know of, they are amazingly um, exhibit whatever heterosis, whether they're grow faster or the deer love the acorns or mm-hmm. they're more productive for some reason it just seems like at the overcup cross with something creates a better tree than the next one now mm-hmm. that's just anecdotal mm-hmm. but yeah, we've seen that yeah. right you know and maybe it's not that desirable by itself i mean i, I think it's a really cool tree because we're fighting to keep from losing trees in these wetlands that and nut all and maybe a few more are the only mm-hmm. things that subsist you know there's so many things about plant interactions that or we don't understand. No, that's right. And we're trying to find them out. Like, I think we're getting a little off subject, but like where we I, grow all of our right. overcups at the nursery, right. you know, we've probably grown over a million of them no since we started. Mm-hmm. I've never, ever found a hybrid in the overcup 
acorn beds, you know, where overcup huh. acorns. But you find overcup hybrids but, in the other everywhere. white oak beds. But in all the other white oak beds, I can find where overcup pollen, you know, where mm-hmm. I can find overcup hybrids. That's cool um, right there. And so it's just another God that. thing that, you know, may be over our heads, but it it's, it's being done for a reason, mm-hmm. uh, you know. Oh, it's all genetic, in the plan. More That's genetic sure. diversity. I don't know. Yeah, and it, it, that builds into stability in nature, you know, it, sharing those genetics and mm-hmm. you, you uh, it's more resilient to things. So did we ever talk about the seedlings y'all were planting under the under the trees? I don't think we did, but what, what we were trying to demonstrate with that was that exactly the point, it seems kind of obvious, but we wanted to, you know, sew this up experimentally as, as well as we could. And we picked a species that we didn't think they would browse much and a species that we thought they would with the, the red oak species and the, and the black gum. And the idea was that we would see a big difference in their growth rate when they were under the trees that we put all the mast in. Oh, okay. Because they would browse the preferred one really heavily and maybe not so much on the other one, whereas where they're not using it much... It, it would be able to... Yeah, they'd, bas- they'd basically be, you know, really competitive. And uh, that's what we saw, and we were able to basically use that to say, yeah, it, it does seem to be the, the herbivory level that is driving the changes that we saw more broadly in the plant community. Wow. So that that gave us that you know, some evidence that, that that's probably one of the major important things. But it just, for me, it, it also, it was a win, you know, and when you go into the literature and you see all this stuff about, you know, things about herbivory being negative, and, it, you know, it's often because people are trying to grow trees for a crop or, or crops, uh, and you, you see a lot of research showing how, you know, kind of painting deer as a negative species, and I, I was just... That was a big win for me. It's like, <laughs> wait a minute now. They're driving diversity across mm-hmm. this landscape by chasing mast in, in right. this forest, and that's just that's really interesting and important. Mm-hmm. What does herbivory function. mean? Plant eaters. Plant eating. Uh, okay, well, I knew what a herbivore was, but her, her, that herbivory is the action, yeah. Yep. Okay. Her, herbivore is the noun, and once the bird. Okay. Yeah. Well. Well, I just got a little confused. Got that big sixth grade <laughs> education. Did you get heterosis? <laughs> yeah. Did you get heterosis? I did not hear that one or get that one. What heterosis. Heterosis. heterosis is hybrid vigor. You know, things right. grow faster. That's right. It's like exhibiting the way. It's like constant. one plus one equals four, Bobby. Yeah, yeah that's a good yeah, thing. Non-additive nope. effects. And it doesn't always happen, but it actually, <laughs> in case sometimes it does happen. And and what there's another word for you, a buzzword for trees. What Dudley, what is it called when heterosis occurs and it is it is something that um I'm scared produces fruit early in life. What's that called? Oh my gosh, I've said that word promiscuous. Bobby You would different of course Bobby's mind goes there. Always trying to secure that way. Yeah. Well, this is this is really fascinating. It's, it's way over my head yeah. to listen to this stuff, and it, it's the wonder of nature, though. I mean, well, you know what? It's not if you go out there and pay attention. It's not yeah. over anybody's head. That's right. In my mind, just go yeah. out there, and then you know it is true. The more you know, it's like he can, and then Dudley will know have more than any of us out there. But then you they, know? you know, you hear but, the results, and you're like, duh. Yeah, I, I love it. You didn't even think about it before the no, results. I love those right. duh moments. But just, well, I mean, what, you're going to be a better hunter 
if you learn to pay more attention to everything going on out there. So, I mean, in roundabout way, you know, that is exactly what will help you be better mm-hmm. is learning more about everything out there, you know. Well, and I, I think there's a lot to be said also that, you know, you have the opportunity with the next generation when they're young right. to yes. get them out there and get them interested and cultivate a lifelong learner. Yeah, that wonderful you know, life. That's just wonders about everything. And there, there's a lot of value in just having curiosity. Wonder with a you, right? That's why Dudley can't, if he goes, we go to the woods and look at something. He's always behind somewhere getting lost because he's looking at everything. <laughs> he never and if makes he finds it to the a stand. tree that he likes, he might look up look up in it and study it for yeah. like ten minutes. We're like, Gully, we're late. We gotta get in here. The huh? turkeys I'm are coming. I'm right coming. There, I'm coming. Uh, you see the size of that? I'm the same yeah. way. There's no telling how many turkeys got got away because of that for me. No, no doubt. I just think it's a cool that's I'm gonna a, come back and look. That's a cool thing for us all to look up to is some people that are more in tune and pay attention to everything when they're coming in and out of the woods and, you know, just the world in general, nature yeah, in general. That's, right. that's just something I think everybody ought to try to aspire to more than we do instead of just results, you know. Yeah, yeah. you're exactly right. Well, and it, there's actually some remarkable studies showing that they're, you know, we have a cascade of chemical things yes, that absolutely. happen. You know, it's biophilia. Yes. Like it's been demonstrated really well that humans respond to nature Absolutely. in ways that make you more healthy and live longer. Uh, there's we're a case the, study around here. The two <laughs> the two things that I correct Definitely me if I'm wrong. Someone will probably call. Let's know <laughs> two things going on that they're using literally to extend life, heal people, and well being is exactly what you said. Nature, gardening, touching, Immersion. yeah, and mm-hmm. pets. Yep, those no two things are creating a better life and actually helping even heal people. So. Mm-hmm. It makes me proud of two of the things we're really big into and pushing is that, yeah. uh, those two things. Wow. That's exciting. Episode. Missing a boat without yeah. both of them. <laughs> this yeah. has been a really deep Great discussion. One. It is. Yeah. I think it's perfect it's for the perfe- 100. It is perfect for the 100. I mean, so really is that is. hard for shallow people like Bobby? <laughs> it, it can be, yeah. It sure can. Are you saying we're all shallow? <laughs> Sorry. I had to take a shot there. Yeah. Well, and, you know, Toxic kind of you dr- kind of drug in here late. Was there oh, st- my God. Don't even talk about it. <laughs> so, here's the deal. He was wondering so, I always said I got a good analogy. You know me, an analogy. The, the three most feared words in the English language as a parent on Christmas Eve. Some assembly required. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, the three most feared words when it's 105 and you're a gamekeeper in the middle yeah. of the day is busted hydraulic hose. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. With a long walk on top of it. <laughs> so, I made it. I'm in better shape but, than I thought. Did you walk all the way over here? I walked. Yeah, no. But I walked <laughs> back to my truck, which is a gas truck, not diesel. Yeah. And I bust a line on my bulldozer. Oh, no. Ooh, yes. Hmm. But, thank goodness. Did you hit 1-800 dial of clay? Not yet. <laughs> we'll look at it. It's not an emergency okay, cool. situation right now, I don't well, think. Well, we're glad you made it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. But it's like yeah. not fun. Which is, you know, you just got to park the frustration on the sideline. If you're going to do it, you're going to You're going to run into those problems. I mean, you just do. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Well, we, there's a lot more days you run into those kind of things that go really smooth. Yep. I promise you that. that. So, we I did not look at the plant community today. Yeah, you today. did. Man, that one I was day too busy like, destroying some of them, repairing an old road that was washed out. <laughs> then I, <laughs> But well, I looked at them on the way out at 105 degrees. It was hot right now. Yeah, it's hot. 
Yeah. Well, we're glad you made it. We saved the masting oh, topic so sure. for, for when you got here. Very so. intriguing stuff. Uh, Marcus, uh, you got a big smile on your yeah. face. Uh, well, we oh, we yeah. sure enjoy talking to oh, you. Oh, so. I appreciate been, you being here. Been yeah. Great, no uh, doubt about it. Dudley, do you have an Ask Dudley prepared? I do, and it's it's kind of different this week. Um, it it didn't come in the form of an email. I, I had a customer that uh, his name's Will Stevens, and uh, he's actually the guy that sent the mulberry tree photo. Oh, with, with the, the turkeys. turkeys in it. That was super. Um, cool. I actually said his last name wrong the last time I brought him up uh, in here, but uh, so I'm going to clarify that. But he called me the other day. He had been listening to some. Craig Harper stuff and, you know, uh, probably some Marcus stuff. And he was just kind of confusing himself, and, I, and it left me a little bit confused. And after I hung up the phone, I, I think I came up with a better answer for him in my mind. But I was just going to mention it to Marcus. He was saying that, you know, he keeps hearing about all this no-till and improve your soil and, uh, you know, build your soil. But he's also hearing about all this disturbance stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was like, What's the right thing to do? Am I supposed to be disking my place up, or am I supposed to not, you know, not be tilling it at all? And uh, I sat there. I think we talked about it for 15 minutes, and then I didn't really give him a great answer. And then I hung up the phone and went and talked to a coworker, and he was like, "Oh, well, boom." And I was like, (laughs) "Well, that's right." But uh, I wanted to kind of hear Marcus's approach to that. Well, I think there's, you know, it. We we go back to to what's your objective and what you're trying to achieve, mm-hmm. and uh, that's a really important thing, especially with this. And you know, they're particularly with a practice like disking. Uh, you know, there there's some situations where that might be a good thing to do and a good tool, particularly if you're trying to to do some old field management and and promote forbs. Uh, you you wouldn't want to do it in a place where you had na- native ground cover. Uh, you know, with, and I'm talking about probably not the same, not native species, but like what originally was the cover there, which is pretty rare on the landscape. But oh, when, like a glade or something. Yeah, like where it. you have a whole bunch of things that are kind of rare plants, and the soil structure is really important, and everything, and and you, you know, you keep out of that, and you don't need to be in that with the disc because you, you already have your native plants that you're trying to promote, and a lot of times in the south, you you're looking at burning it. And that's what you're trying to use as your disturbance, but uh, particularly in in plots that that you're planting repeatedly over and over for years and years and years, that that you know that's where I think a lot of this is coming up with the you know that that approach too. where we're trying to maintain soil health because we just repeatedly done it for years, and yeah, we've seen that in agriculture, you know, where uh, you you affect you start to affect some of the soil community negatively by repeatedly disking it up and you can gain a lot of things in the soil health and and just keeping the soil there you know avoiding erosion by uh going to a more of a no-till strategy in that so it really is context dependent but uh there's no question you know particularly if you're trying to reclaim some ag fields that uh, you know, into a native plant community of, of forbs and things that disking can play a pretty important role in that. And you may not be able to, to get it going in the right way without, uh, you know, some of that disking as part of it. And, it, you know, it's really balancing. If you if you if you have that scenario and it's already dominated by forbs and you can just 
keep that going, keep it in early succession with just fire, then, yeah, there's no reason to do the, the disking. The The alternative could be the same way, though. There are some people that are they're just not going to use fire or they're in a situation where they can't, and the disking might be a, a way that they can disturb the, mm-hmm. the area and keep it in early succession. It's really, you know, a, it is confusing. Yeah. So it depends. Yeah. <laughs> is it, is it, it fair depends. to say, too, that in using a disc to disturb natural native habitat and improve it doesn't mean you have to destroy it? Right. You could just lightly disc. Or, you yeah. know, as you know, the angle of a disc determines a lot. So if you have an angle, it's going to dig deeper and turn more. But if you can you turn them, if you can adjust your disc, especially on a small tractor mm-hmm. and a three point hitch disc, you can adjust those discs. To where they're pin to whether you're straight running okay. straight ahead, right. yeah. and so you're really kind of just cutting little furrows and not destroying everything there. That might be enough yeah, without having to try definitely. to disc it like you were going to plant. Yeah, right. it's just it when you said disturbance, it makes somewhat sense because for years we've learned even here managing more soil plants for ducks. If you wait to the right time of year to disturb the soil, you'll get different results. Mm-hmm. And typically, wait until after the Fourth of July and the later in the summer you get, you're going to get a lot of Good seed grasses, you know, more soil plants that are desirable. The later in the uh, summer you disturb the soil. So in a lot of cases, the cheapest thing to do, if it's in the soil bank, you know, because it depends on what soil bank you got, but if it floods all the time, you probably have that. Wait till, you know, I'd say August myself, but, you know, you want some rain coming. And just, if you can just drain the water and disc your pond and then leave it, you're liable to get, you might have to have one application of a herbicide. But you're liable to get as much or more food from that as all this trouble yeah. planting. Right. I'm well, not that, taking away from planting because yeah. that's an, no. an enormous tool. Yeah. But my point from pointing back to him is just disturb it. All you did was disturb mm-hmm. the soil one and time, walk away from it, yeah. and let nature right take its course. Mm-hmm. Well, and it, you also kind of tied it back into earlier discussion that you, you need to be paying attention to what happens. Yes. And, right. You know, if it, if you're disking in that moist soil bed and you end up with a bunch of cocklebird, you know, you need to – Get in there and do something with it. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, if you know if you if you know what you're looking at and have some indicators of success or or uh, the alternative or non-success, yeah, <laughs> yeah, your unsuccess, yeah. then uh, you know you may need to. And Toxie's real good at growing this barnyard grass, which is, I think is well, a, like just yes, the good Lord grows the barnyard grass, not yeah. me. But yeah, that's exactly what I was talking about. It's a great, and I. Pretty sure that's actually millet. It's the native millet, and that's what they hybridize to make jack millet. I think that's right. Hmm. And so that's they're confusing. they're actually very yeah, similar. They're I all think. in the same genus. Yeah, know. and so that's it's a great it's the stud muffin of of waterfowl forages. That's when they farm for dirty corn. It's yeah. so amazing. That's what they're getting this barnyard grass. And it, it the yeah, good thing about the native species, I'll even pimp that a little, is they last through the winter so much better than egg species mm-hmm. for waterfowl. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You yeah. know, they're there all the way through, unless you have a big flood washing and all that, they're there all winter mm-hmm. and don't go bad. So, so it's like we always say, Lanny, nature is amazing. Oh, it is. So, what, Lanny, what did we learn? <laughs> I keep on learning. You know, I go back to what we talked about earlier, you know, digesting. I get I'm lucky enough to get to sit here every week, you know, and digest all this stuff. It's really changed the way I, I look at the woods, you know, and I've been there a long time. So uh, just pay, paying attention, listening to what these guys say. And then the man for me is learning how much work I got to do because <laughs> there's something to do out there all the time. Yeah, so, super yeah. Cool, no doubt. Lane, Never learn enough. 
It, it really is. It's fascinating. These guys have they've shown us a whole different way to look at the yeah. at the landscape. I mean, yeah, my nature um, vision has been enhanced. <laughs> well, doesn't it make you want to learn more yeah. every it day? Oh, oh my gosh. Just, it just every time, oh every time, gets me yes. every time. You never get it all. Dudley, have you got a takeaway from today? No, I, I was just thinking in the back of my mind that I'm thankful that a lot of these folks like Marcus are hunters. Yes, yes. and yes. they are. Uh, you know, they're they're doing <laughs> the scientific stuff, but uh, it's it's amazing the difference. You know, and what. We're, we're basing it on hunting, but we're also basing it on the big picture. And, yeah. and I think if a lot of our biologists and stuff weren't hunters and fishers, then yeah. uh, we, ha- we got to evolve. The stuff we I mean, need we to get studied wouldn't be getting studied. We, well, we and another thing, you know, we have a lot of stuff that needs to be studied, and then they do it, and they can't relate it to anybody that has land to do something with it. <laughs> yeah. You know, so uh, that's th- something that I felt I've – tried to take that role as a scientist because the majority of landowners, at least in the South, are interested in hunting, and they're the ones that own the land, and they're the ones we need to be doing stuff to no make, doubt about make it. Yeah. more of all these species we love. Otherwise, and it might just end up getting developed someday. Ooh. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, being able to, like the deer thing with, you know, most people – Maybe think it's interesting, but you're not necessarily driving your land management decisions to try to promote diversity with deer, you and know. But people will use that that are deer hunters because they're the ones that own the land. So if we can relate it to something that they are interested in, that's kind of the strategy I've been trying to take for a long time. And thanks to scientists like yourself, uh, we the hunters are much better at looking at the big picture. Than we were even five years that's ago. That's exactly Big right. Time. And that's where we have to go to, you know, to keep on doing what we do. So, Toxie, you got something to add? Well, just that the bigger picture of the whole hunting thing, too, is that uh, he will, you know, and others like him that Dudley just said made me think about this, is that we get the privilege of being able to hunt only in the context of what's best for that particular species we're hunting. That's true. And we, what they do, they bring that back to light because they have the whole – holistic picture of nature and research and things have been vetted and when they've learned so much and they've not only done the research even more than that i would say he's read so much and paid attention to the whole world of research and it teaches us that that's the only reason that we're able or afforded this privilege Mm -hmm. because if we didn't do it in the context of hunting a it would be wrong it would not be good for mother earth but b selfishly we won't have anything to hunt or the, they'll be hard to hunt or this we'll lose the species so i think he points out a great lesson of life in all of this as us as hunters to understand that privilege and that we're getting to do it in the context of what's best for the species so when you boil it down then you know who gets to do that each individual piece of land was a government piece of land or private land Mm -hmm. and that's called being a gamekeeper's taking care of your place in the context of getting to do that privilege yeah. Boom. Yeah. yeah. Marcus, of, I'm gonna give you the last word. Yeah, <laughs> part of that's learning and I didn't even mention it, guys, but we a bunch of times on here have talked a lot about fire and we did I guess a little bit here, probably the least amount on this one, but yeah. uh I did just make available a training that's free to everybody. Uh it's online that folks can go. Uh we have the link on you know, on social media and everything, uh where if you want to learn more about 
how to use fire. It doesn't doesn't take the place of the state agency prescribed fire manager training where you get that certification, but it is a we we put together a bunch of really good scientists who are experts on smoke management and firing techniques and wildlife management. All these people came together and we put together a, a fairly comprehensive you know course where you can go take it on your own time. It's online and free to everybody, and it was just I just wanted to get it out for everybody to to use. That's awesome. Yeah. Can we publish we it? That. Yeah. Can we share that, that on our stuff? Too? That. I think, yeah. I think we have. Yeah. I remember saying it, but we'll double check on that. Yeah. So. But that's yeah, so but valuable. Yeah, it yeah, doesn't replace time to learn. Like, doesn't replace yeah. the school. But you think about if it helps one person, if it yeah. saves one person, more importantly, uh, well, read it. Look at it. Yeah. I can't wait It'll, to dig into it as much as I love to burn, and I've been burning forever, and I think I kind of know it all. I do not. <laughs> well, even I, me, like I, I, welcome, study yeah, fire I welcome learning everything I can. I study fire all the time, and I went through the modules that, that other people created, and I was like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't that's know anything about fire. You yeah. know, that's what I felt like. I mean, it's a it's a really good resource for everybody. And, you know, like we've said several times, it's hot right now, Oof. and it's a good time to be taking some learning opportunities and that's one you can do whenever you get ready and it's free to everybody so yeah awesome right. good 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 advice so look this has been a we, we really appreciate you coming yeah. up marcus and uh, guys that they don't follow you it's at dr disturbance mm -hmm. that's on instagram and your own facebook you, you look you you're just doing some really neat stuff I, and we, we appreciate having you as a guest i still think it started in the brass monkey but i'm not going to argue with you <laughs> I didn't say it, did <laughs> Well, look, this is our 100th episode. 100. I wanted to, yeah, I wanted to be sure we thanked everybody for listening to us. Yes. We, wow. Everybody from Osceola appreciates you guys listening. And, and look, I, I would ask, if, you know, everybody knows somebody else that has the same interest. If y'all you, don't mind, if you'd share the podcast, we sure would appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. And so, let us know what you'd like to hear about too. We, always. I mean, we're not doing this to hear ourselves talk. Yeah. We really want to connect with people out there and so the best way is let us know mm -hmm. that's right things that you like or you want to hear more about or especially a new topic we may have missed yeah that's exactly right they might be tired of hearing about me guys <laughs> oh, i don't <laughs> know i don't think so all right guys well I maybe look, at 200 it's been a lot of fun lanny you're going on vacation next week yeah, be safe yeah. and try to catch some fish it's a crustacean at heart yes yeah, so mm -hmm. get a little bit of salt water so. yeah good for you you deserve a vacation so. well thank you bobby well why don't we uh why don't you say goodbye dudley Goodbye, Dudley. Get us out of well, Where's Mac Mac? Who knows? Yeah, where he's selling some seeds. He's, fi he's fi trying to find a turkey. Just get us spot. out of here, Percy <laughs> or whoever. Yeah, get us, get out, us out, out of here, here Richie. Richie. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Gamekeeper Podcast. And be sure to tune in again. Subscribe to Gamekeeper Farming for Wildlife magazine. And don't miss the Mossy Oak Properties Fistful of Dirt podcast with my good buddy, Ronnie Cuz Strickland.